Okay, so we are looking tonight at God's sovereignty and the comfort of God's sovereignty. Now, let me, before we start off, let me just say, whenever the word sovereignty is mentioned, it can create confusion for, for believers because uh, there's this great battle that goes on about God's sovereignty and man's free will. And there really shouldn't be a battle between the two. It's not like that. Um, I, I love what Spurgeon said when he was asked at one stage, how do you reconcile man's free will with God's sovereignty? And he said, I never try and reconcile friends. And God's sovereignty, in other words, God, nothing happens in God's world without God. Uh, but man's free will is there as far as salvation is concerned as well. So both are there. Don't get confused. Don't get derailed when somebody decides to focus very heavily on one side of it and ignore the rest of the argument. It's not, it's not real. Um, God is sovereign, and yet man has free will at the same time. Now, what, what we're talking about tonight, though, is not God's sovereignty in salvation. It's God's sovereignty in the world. In other words, how God is in control in the world. We want to be in control of our lives. We desperately try to be in control of our lives. We, we try to work things out and get things in order so that we have control but the reality is that we have very little control over what happens in our lives. Uh, Tripp uh, uses the point of his own sickness uh, to point that out. Uh, he had uh, been healthy all of his life effectively. He was a very ordered, a very structured man. Um, not proud on the outside, but, but quite confident in the fact that he could order his life and he could work it out. And then one day he ended up in, in, in A&E and um, his life changed dramatically uh, with no power uh, of his to change it at all. And um, he, he says that, that he kept asking the doctors, when will I be able to get back to my normal schedule? And um, they wouldn't answer uh, because the reality is he had six operations after that. And he is, has a lot less of his liver function than he had before. So he's never going to get back uh, to where he was before. And the point is that uh, control was taken out of his hands. But he has confidence that although control was, taking, was taken out of his hands, uh, it was in God's hands. And you and I need to understand that when we're in trouble, when we're struggling. That it's not outside God's control that God is in control of all of it. Because sometimes the, the, the randomness or <clears throat> the difficulty we have between what God promises us and what is real in our lives seems to all, almost ready to, to, to unseat us. And we need to be reconciled to this idea of, well, God's in control. All right, so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Right? So suffering, suffering clarifies who is in control. Now, let me introduce it by looking at Job for a moment, right? Now, you know the story of Job. Uh, in the beginning of the book of Job, Job loses everything. And, um, you know, Satan uh, puts it up to God, and, and God allows Satan to go after him, and he loses all his wealth, he loses his uh, family, he loses everything, really, in a moment. And he comes through it in shining, uh, in, in, in great... He comes to it greatly and he says, the Lord given, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then God says to him, yeah, or Satan says to God, yeah, listen, uh, if you let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. And so God does. God lets 
uh, Satan go after Job, but he's not allowed to take his life. And so he goes after Job and um, he makes him, he ends up with those boils and those sores and he's sitting on the ashes and his life gets pretty miserable. Now he still doesn't curse God. And then his friends come along and we have the expression Job's comforters uh, in our language because Job's comforters were no comfort to him. They tried desperately uh, to, to convince him of sin, that the reason he was suffering so badly was sin. And still he doesn't give in. Still he doesn't curse God. But he does, as things go on, start to demand answers from God and say, I wish God could stand face to face and I would ask him. I would, I would show him. I would talk to him. Right? So when we get to chapter 38 of the book of Job, Right. Job is, is at the end of his rope. He is just hanging in there. And in chapter 38, God begins to answer. Now, God doesn't say, listen, Job, I'm sorry. Satan put, it up, put me up to it. What God does is God says, now, okay, Job, all right, so you, th you think you're going to ask me questions? You think you're going to demand of me and I'm going to ask you? He says, okay, well, well, well. and he begins in chapter 38, he goes into chapter 39 and in chapter 40. And what God does in, in chapter 41, God just keeps asking Job, what is the Job? Can you do this? Can you create the stars? Can you uh, make the sea stop at the seashore? Uh, can, and he goes on and on, God asking Job. And obviously, Job can't do any of those things. Job's not a creator. And here's the point. The point is this, that God is sovereignly in control of everything. And he doesn't have to justify himself to us. And sometimes we think we feel like he does, don't we? We feel like God should justify himself to us. He, he won't. He doesn't need to. But what he does want us to do is he wants us to trust him. And so he goes through all that with Job. And in chapter 42, that Job finally comes to the end of himself and it says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And you know what Job needed in his trouble? He didn't need answers from God. He didn't need to know why. He needed to see God. He needed to see God and reconcile, reconcile himself to the fact that God is in control of everything. Now, we have to wrap our minds around this thought because it's kind of hard for us. But here's the truth. The truth is that if we can wrap our minds around the reality that God is in control of everything, there is nothing coming my way that God has not already taken care of. There's nothing coming my way that God is not already in charge of. And my rest is not in my own ability to control things. That's a fool's errand. I'm not in control. My rest is in God is in control. And he gets this right. So uh, let's, let's, let's look at it here.
Okay, so um, suffering clarifies who is in control. Hardship has the power to burst the bubble of our self-sovereignty. I don't think I'm alone in saying that I'm tempted to give myself comfort by convincing myself that I have more control over people, places, and things than I actually have. We want to believe that if we eat the right things and do the right exercises, we can control our health. We buy into thinking that if we parent our children well, we can guarantee that they will turn out all right. We want to believe that if we budget well, invest wisely, save carefully, or we can assure a good financial future. We want to think that if we dedicate ourselves to a, a loving marriage, we can secure its health and permanence. These are all good things to do, but the assumption that doing them controls outcomes is just not true. Now catch that thought. It's right for you to do the right thing. Why? Why do you do the right thing in your life? Because God. Right? But if you think, as we often do, I will do the right thing, and then it will all work out well in my life, you've bought into a lie. Because that's not the way it works. You know, you, you and I need to understand that God is in control, and he has a plan for my life, and that we're, we're going to see later on that God has a time set on my life. Now, is it good for me to take exercise and to eat good foods and try and stay as healthy as I can? Definitely. Does that necessarily mean that I'm going to live to be 95? No. God is in charge of that, and we need to understand that. From the very first breath of Adam, the Bible confronts our delusions of and desire for control. It is clear that Adam and Eve were not created for independent, self-sufficient living, but for dependent other reliant living. Right now, we're talking now about life in the garden when everything was perfect. Were Adam and Eve autonomous, doing their own thing, living their own way in the garden before, the, before sin came into the garden? No, they were dependent on God for everything. In fact, God gave them their jobs. They worked for God. God gave them their jobs, they, they, they worked for God, and um, they were dependent upon him. That's the way God created man to be. That's not just a result of the curse. Yes, in some ways we're more dependent because of the curse, but we're dependent upon God. And we're also dependent upon each other. That we don't have the ability to control the circumstances like we think we do. That God is actually in charge of all of it. Um, um, Adam and Eve weren't made to make up their own rules and to live as they thought best. They were made to live inside the boundaries of the rules and purposes of someone greater. And they weren't placed in a world that would submit to their commands and do their bidding. They were called to the res be resident managers of a world created and held together by the sovereign power of God. Now, <clears throat> This is kind of off our point, but, but it needs to be said, too, at this point. Adam and Eve uh, were put in a place where <clears throat> they were to serve God and do what God wanted to do, and they had boundaries put around them, right? And the boundaries that they had put around them were God's rules for their living. Now, you and I have boundaries put around our lives. We're supposed to live within God's way. It doesn't go very well for us when we don't. In fact, I, I, I'm convinced that oftentimes when we live outside God's boundaries, God doesn't necessarily have to step in and um, deal with us. 
He just says the reality of life to us. That when we live outside those boundaries, why? Because we were never intended to be autonomous creatures that did our own thing. Now, our sin nature has, you know, <clears throat> built up our pride so that we feel we have the right to do and to make things happen for ourselves. But we don't. We're not able. We are to live within God's boundaries. We always were intended to live within God's boundaries. In other words, God is in control. You're not. I'm not. God is working in the situation, and we're not in control. Um, we've been given lots of gifts. We've been given natural abilities. We've been given talents. Um, uh, and if we exercise them as God intended, things tend to work out well. But we can't take credit or blame uh, for things we had no power to produce. Now, think about it. I mean, isn't it very easy to look at somebody whose health is failing and you think, well, you know what, I, I, I did the right things and I ate the right foods and I did the exercise and so on. And therefore, I'm doing better than they. But that's not entirely true. There's an element of truth in it. But there's another side of it that you're not really accepting. You don't have any control over that, do you? You don't have any control over, over the fact that, that, that you get um, a heart attack. You don't have any control over the fact that you get cancer. You don't have any control over a whole bunch of things in your life. So you shouldn't take um, credit for things that you're not in control of. Is that fair? All right. Now, the converse is also true, too. You can't take responsibility for things that you have no control over. And we tend to blame ourselves when things go wrong. If only I had, then things would have worked out differently. Uh, the woman whose marriage falls apart, whose husband is unfaithful to her, uh, will ask herself, well, well if, if I had been a better wife, if I had done this, if I had done that, maybe he wouldn't have strayed. And she's taken the responsibility. You don't have that kind of power. You're, you're not in charge like that. Um, you know, <clears throat> We take more credit for the things in, in the good things in life than we should. And we also assume greater control than we actually have for the bad things uh, in life, the way things work out. Uh, good parents uh, blame themselves for the spiritual and relational rebellion of their children. Now, look, listen, you and I can, you know, in our parenting roles, we can do the best that we can. But I'm very keenly aware that every child at some stage has to choose God for themselves and no parent can force them. You can lead, you can model it, but you can't force it. You can't for force a child uh, to accept. Uh, people who, who have invested with untrustworthy investors kick themselves for being so trusting. So you, 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 you put some money into uh, with somebody and, and, and then it fails and you say, oh, it's my fault. I shouldn't have been so gullible. I shouldn't have done it. Well, no, hang on. You don't have that much control. Um, even children tend to find reasons to blame themselves for the uh, separation of their parents. The parents get divorced and the kids will blame themselves for it. Uh, you see, people are, are adding to their suffering by assuming power and control that they didn't have and never will have. Now, what am I saying? Am I saying you're just going to throw your hands up in the air and you don't worry about it? No. You live the best you can and do the best you can. But understand this, that you're not in control of the outcome. And that God may have reasons for bringing things into your life 
that you have no way of understanding and you have no way of, of anticipating. You see, suffering causes us to scan our lives and if we're honest, uh, to come to the place where we realize we're not in control of very much at all. But there is one who is in control. Uh, it's only when we abandon our independence that we find rest in one greater. Now, what, we, what we, he means there is that we, we've got to come to the place where we understand, I am not in control. Right? Uh, that we, we find rest in somebody who's greater. That we come to the place where we recognize, no, but God is in control. Uh, hopelessness is the only doorway to hope. When we forsake our trust in our power, we're then ready to entrust ourselves to the power of another. Our smallness and weakness aren't our greatest dangers. The greatest danger is the delusion that we are bigger and stronger than we are or ever will be. That's our greatest danger. Our greatest danger is delusion that we think we're, we're bigger and stronger than we ever can be. We're not that great. We're, we're, we're not in charge of it all, and we're not that great, and we need to understand that, that you know, um, we don't have control of all of it. So he says, he talks about a mystery. Uh, he says, I want you to think about with me about a mystery. God does things that will remain a mystery. God brings into our life uh, things that confuse it, confuse us. At times, God appears bad, even though he tells us he is good. At times, it is hard to live in the tension of what God has promised and what he has brought our way. Have you been there? Have you been in that place where you're just kind of befuddled? Because God promised he would be good to you. God promised he would reward you and he'd take care of you. And maybe at a given moment in time, you don't feel like you're being very well rewarded. You don't feel like it's working out very well for you. And God wants you to understand, well, listen, I'm in charge. And I'm working it out. Everyone faces moments when a cloud of mystery covers theological clarity. In other words, I know God is good. I know God is doing right by me. Boy, I don't feel it. I don't feel like it's working out that way at the moment. And those moments are going to come. Those moments are going to be real in our lives. And where what we need to do is, we need to be able to come to the place where we take our hands off it and we say, no, I'm trusting God in the situation. Yes, those of you that are parents, um, when your children are growing up, there are some things you won't let them do, right? Or some things you want them to do, right? And with the best will in the world, you won't be able to explain to them why? Because they're just not ready to take it in. If you think back to, 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 to starting school, right? I remember starting school. I remember, I don't know, vividly in my mind uh, are some pictures of starting school. And I remember my father dropping me to school. And I remember feeling completely abandoned. I felt, I can't believe he did this to me. I remember he had a Vespa scooter. I can still remember hearing me being in the class with Benny Gall, he was the teacher. And I can remember hearing his Vespa scooter driving up the driveway of the school. And I can remember thinking, I'm abandoned. I'm on my own. I've been left behind. Now, it's one of those vivid memories from my childhood. I'm four years old at the time, right? So it's one of those really vivid memories uh, that sticks out. Now, 
My dad couldn't explain to me, Dave, if you don't go to school, you're going to end up dumb. You won't be able to read. You won't be able to write. Uh, you won't be able to get a job. I've got to send you to school. That, that, that didn't make sense to me. A four-year-old doesn't care about those things. Right? There, there was no point in explaining them to me. He had to do what he had to do. I'm glad he did now. I'm glad he did send me to school. Right? But it was intensely painful. And there was no way that I could understand that at that time. Right? Now, so, so we, here's what happens with your kids. You, you have your kids do things that they don't understand, they, that doesn't make sense, that causes them pain. Right? And they can run to the place where they decide that, listen, you're just a mean dad. You just want to hurt them. And, or they can, they can come to the place where they understand, that, no, no, my dad is a good dad. And if he's doing something that hurts me, he's doing it for a good reason, and they can choose to trust you in that situation. Whole lot easier for them if they can come to that place. Whole lot easier for them if they can come to that place where they, where they actually learn to trust you in the difficult situation. And God wants us to do the same with him. He wants us to come to the place where we trust him in our situation, even when we don't understand, even when it's painful. Now, what are we trusting? And we'll, we'll look at this several times as we go through. We're trusting that our God is good. Are you convinced of that? Well, you see, suffering tests out your belief there, doesn't it? When you're going through hard times, God is saying to you, okay, now do you really believe I'm good? Uh, if I'm good, would I allow you to go through this? And you don't understand why you're going through it. But if he's good, then you're trusting that he's got a good reason for putting you through it. This sovereign God who's in control has got a good reason uh, for, for putting, it, uh, putting you through this. Um, the one who rules and understands everything is the definition of all that is right, true, faithful, loving, powerful, and gracious. Right? This God knows what he's talking about. And he knows what he's doing in our lives. His rule is always good because he is good. So it is very important not to allow the confusion of suffering to redefine for you who God is. There's a danger there for you, isn't there? Well, I am suffering, and you'll hear people say it. Well, such and such a thing happened to me, and after that I stopped believing in God. because I couldn't believe in a God who would let that happen. And what, you, what, what somebody has done there is they have allowed their suffering to redefine who God is. In other words, their theology said God is this, he's good and he's loving. Their, their practical experience said this, and so they swapped their practical experience for their theology, and they started believing that God wasn't good. A lot of Christians have a shadow over them in that area. Is he really good? Yes, he's fully good. He's in charge of it all. Um, his rule is always good because he is good. Uh, <clears throat> we all need to accept the limits of our understanding why we let God's declaration of who he is in scripture define the hope we can have because he is with us in our suffering and rules all of the details of it. Hope is found not in trying to solve all the mysteries that suffering brings our way, but in running into the arms of the one who has no mystery uh, and offers us his presence, power, and promise. All right? So hope doesn't come from you sorting out what God is doing in your life. 
Hope comes from you recognizing he is good. He will take care of me. And you run to him in your pain. Now, that's not our, not our natural reaction. Don't you find out that your natural reaction is usually the wrong one? And the reaction that God wants you to have uh, is, is a different one entirely. When Job, at the end of that day, when he lost everything, said, the Lord give it and the Lord take it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you think he was feeling very good? I don't think so. I think he's lost his 10 children. He's grieving. He's lost his wealth. His world has been turned upside down in a heartbeat. So why is he saying the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Because that's his theology. That's who he believes God to be. And whatever happens, he's not going to shake his theology. Later on, he'll say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That he's going to trust God no matter what. Why? Because his theology has to be the reality even when he's hurting. And so does yours. And sometimes you need those bold declarations of faith because you're hurting. And, and you have to shore yourself up. You have to fight for faith in those situations because otherwise the enemy will throw doubt into your mind and just collapse you. You see, the God we serve is the God who is in charge of absolutely everything. Let me read for you Daniel chapter 4. Daniel, if you've got your Bible there, find Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. And this is spoken by Nebuchadnezzar, right? But it's powerful theology. This man has just had a very practical experience of who God is. Remember, God sent him out into the field to, to eat, eat grass for a year. So verse 34 and 35. Um, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into the heavens, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reported as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? You see, comfort comes when I understand that God is in control. I'm not. But when I come to understand that God is in control, and not only is he in control, but he is the definition of everything that is right, true, faithful, loving, powerful, and gracious. In other words, he is the definition of goodness. So like my dad leaving me at school and me feeling abandoned, but him knowing I got to send a kid to school. If I don't send him to school, he will grow up uh, without an education. <laughs> like, like my dad sending me to school, God does some things in your life and in my life that we don't understand, that we wouldn't do. You know, if you had control of your life, would you allow yourself to hurt? <laughs> no, you, you, you would tend to solve it all and sort it all out for yourself, wouldn't you? But, but God uh, doesn't. God lets things into your life that are hard. Why? Because he knows what's best for you. And as painful as they may be, as unraveling as they might be in your life, God still knows what's best. And he's working things out in your life for good. 
All right, so we've got, we got four points here. Uh, I'll be able to get through them all here uh, in the, the minutes I have last, left, right? First of all, you got to understand this. The God's rule stretches from before origins to beyond destiny, right? It's hard to stretch our imaginations far enough to grasp that there never was, nor there, will there ever be a moment in the history of the universe that is out of control. Now, you and I have felt like moments like they were totally out of control. Whatever's happening now is happening, and there's, there's nobody in control of that. But there never has been a moment that was outside of God's control. God is so vast, so powerful, so all-knowing, that every moment in your life is under his control. Nothing happens in your life without him allowing it to happen. Now, that's kind of hard to take because things have happened in your life and in my life that were not what I wanted. Things have happened in our lives that were perhaps very hard to take. But there's no moment in our lives that is beyond the control of God. Uh, you may not understand it. You may quarrel with how God does it. But every second of the past, present, and future passes under his careful rule without him ever being the author of evil. He's never the author of evil, and yet <clears throat> nothing happens apart from his control. Now think about it. Think about some of, the, some of, some of the, 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 the Bible things that we know, right? Not a sparrow falls from the heavens except God says it's time. Now, folks. Sparrows are two a penny. They're, they're tiny little birds. They, they're everywhere. There are billions of sparrows in the world. And God says that not one falls from the heaven. Jesus said that. Not one falls from the heaven without his say-so. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Did you ever look in your hairbrush after you brush your hair in the morning? There's a few hairs in that. You want the count changed from uh, that time yesterday morning. Right? But, <clears throat> but God knows exactly how many hairs are in your head at any given time. You don't. But God does. He knows everything about you, everything that's happening with you. He's intimately involved in our lives. That's how he's chosen to rule the world. He, 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 we, we, we tend to think that God is like us somewhat and that you know, like a vast enterprise, he's kind of set this world rolling and he's left it rolling and he's kind of removed himself from it. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a system that's running the whole thing. But that's not what God tells us he has done. What God tells us is he is intimately involved in the minute of how our lives work. Now, again, we can't understand that because that's totally outside the realm of possibility for us. But the God we're dealing with is that vast, that intelligent, that powerful, that it is possible for him to do that. <clears throat> um, uh, I can't keep control of my life. I can't find the car keys sometimes. Um, and I can't keep, certainly can't keep control of the things that give shape and direction to my life. But that shouldn't cause me to conclude that these things are out of control because they are under God's control 
His will is always done. His plan always succeeds. Everything in creation does his bidding. And he is infinitely wise and perfectly good. We shouldn't interpret suffering as evidence of his absence, weakness, distance, or lack of care. I, you know, you look at some of the situations in the, in the world today, and you, and you look at those situations and you think, that's crazy. And you feel like it's out of control. I, I do anyway. I look at the news and I mean, I try not to look at the news sometimes because it, it, it just makes it look like the whole world's out of control. But do you know that it's not out of control? That God is working all things together for good, that he's taken all the things that are happening and he's working them out in such a way as to bring them about into a place where they actually achieve his ends. So that in the end, God is not going to be <clears throat> shortchanged by the whole thing. He's going to achieve from this great creation that he has made exactly what he intended to achieve. Though. He's working it all out. Now, he gives us a chance to cooperate with him in it. But he's still going to get what he wants out of it all. He's working it all out. And the thing about it is that he does it with our good in mind as well, which is quite incredible. Right? <clears throat> so um, when you think of God, don't think of God, you know, the sovereignty of God as this great God that sits on a throne with a long flowing beard and he's distant uh, and he makes rules for his world. That's not what the Bible tells us he is. The Bible tells us that he is an intimately involved God, intimately involved in everything that we're doing, that he is here right now. The Lord is at hand, it tells us in Philippians chapter 4. He is here. He is now. He is involved in all that we are doing. He has not for a moment removed himself from it uh, like the deists believe, set the ball rolling and just, just let it keep rolling. No, he's intimately involved in everything. Right? So God, God's word stretches from before origins to beyond destiny. Uh, there has never been a moment that God hasn't been in control. Secondly, God's rule is global. When we go into a new location, a different situation, or a new community uh, of people, we often experience anxiety. This natural anxiety is the result of the limits of our understanding and personal power. When we enter a place we don't know, yet know uh, or experience uh, or an experience we've never had. No wonder our minds race and our hearts beat a little faster. We wonder what will we have to face, how will we be treated, and whether we'll make it through. Right? And um, that, that's, that's, that's how we feel uh, in this great big world that we live in. We go somewhere and we feel uh, a little bit discombobulated. But God has, is there before you. Every situation that you're going to go into in your life, God has been there before you. God has gone into the situation before you. There's, there's, there's no such thing as you entering into a situation that God is not already in. Um, it's here that God's global sovereignty is so precious. Your story will take you places you never thought you'd be. Your life will travel roads you thought uh, you don't feel ready to travel. You'll end in places... Uh, <clears throat> far from what you would, would have chosen. There will be situations in which you wonder how in the world you got there. Wherever your story takes you, you'll never arrive there first because your Lord is always there 
in sovereign presence and power, and he rules that place in infinite wisdom and holiness. He has the power to do what he wills, and the way he rules is always right. right now, listen, that, that gives me such comfort. And here's why that gives me such comfort, right? I'm never going to face a day in my life that God is not in. I'm never going to face a situation that God has not first vetted and decided that's okay. That'll be good for me. So I, I know there are things coming my way that I perhaps don't want. And I know that there are things coming my way and that I definitely don't understand. But I also know that he will be with me in them. That he goes before me. So wherever I end up, whatever happens, I can't lose that, that God is there before. Remember David said in Psalm um, 139, whether shall I go from thy spirit or, or shall I flee, flee from your presence? If I, if I go up into heaven, you're there. If I go down into hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, you're there. What he's, what's he saying is, God, you're everywhere. Wherever I go, you're going to be there. Now, listen. You and I can have that confidence. I never have to face a situation where God is not. He is always there. He goes before you, right? And number three, God's rule is individual and detailed. Look at with me at Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, I'll read it for you, verse 26 and verse 27, right? Um, and have made of one blood all nations of men. For to dwell on all the face of the earth and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Right. So two thoughts there. Um, what, when we think of God, God determines the times for everybody on this planet. Everybody on this planet, God's got the time. You know that God knows the day of your death. He knows the day of my death. You know, you look, you, you look at other people or, or sometimes you, do you ever do those actuary things where they, where they try and predict uh, how long you're going to live? And um, they don't know. They're just guessing. God knows exactly how long you and I are going to live. And not only does he know it, but uh, he has determined the times of your life. God has actually got a plan. Your life has been planned down to the number of days that you have. Now, you don't have that kind of control, do you? Oh, you listen, you, you ought to be as healthy as you can and do all that you can to be, uh, to, to, to live a good and a healthy life, but you don't, you don't have the power uh, to work that out. But God has worked that out, right? And then secondly, what he says, um, Though he be not far from every one of us. So that in your life, what Paul is saying here is, he's saying this to unbelievers. He's saying, listen, in your life, he is there. He is not far from you. He's always around. He's always involved. He's always in your life. So God determines your time. He has a plan for your life. And God is, is there right beside you all the time. We need to keep in mind, he's not this distant God. He's, he's not this distant God. You know, you know those times when you feel like you're totally cut off and you're on your own? 
You're not. He's there. And he's got a plan. Um, the next verse says this. Um, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. That we, we actually live in him. That he's there all the time. That God's rule is individual and detailed. Uh, God is directly involved with the length of life of everyone who's ever lived uh, and the exact address of everyone who has ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, he is just that present and that powerful, right? So God knows your address. God knows your bedroom. God knows where you live. God knows everything about you. Not because he kind of has somebody reporting to him, but because he's there. He's involved in all of it. And then number four, God's rule is an expression of his character. Really, you know, if the, the kind of power that God has in the hands of absolutely anybody else is terrifying. See, we have to keep this in mind. The, the best form of leadership is dictatorship. Right? That's, that's without doubt. Uh, politicians tend to rule with one eye looking on the crowd and what's going to happen and how they're going to be uh, elected the next time. And, um, you know, dictators end up being able to do what they think is the best thing. The only thing is corrupt dictators, and all men are corrupt, uh, end up doing what they want to do and not what's best. Right? But when you have somebody... With absolute power, they have to be absolutely good. And you can't find anyone like that except God. So his rule is an expression of his character, his justice, his goodness, his love. All of those things are expressed in his rule. You never have to fear that God's going to have a moment when he doesn't care about you and he just does what's best for himself. You never have to have a moment like that because he's not going to. Because his, his, his rule is an expression of his character. And then finally, God rules for our benefit. He rules for our benefit. Um, let me read you from Ephesians chapter 1 here. And then, then we are done. I'll give you a chance to actually say something if you want, all right? Ephesians 1, and I am reading from verse 13, right? Uh, in whom you have also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory and, and the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him above his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might 
and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now catch the picture there. You have this omnipotent God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-love, all those things, right? And what he did was he created a world that he was intimately involved in. And the world went wrong and chose against him. So he sent his son that we might know him and his fullness and walk with him. And so while, yes, he's working for his own glory, what he's done is he's inserted you and I right into the middle of his glory. And so that he's ruling for our benefit. He's working on our behalf always. Now, <clears throat> you know what? You can't lose with a God like that. It's impossible for you to lose. You see, you and I get it wrong. But this one that loves us is working on our behalf. And he takes even the messes we make and he works them for good. And he never leaves us to our own devices and he never gets fed up with us and he never walks away. It's an expression <coughs> of his character. He's at work in our lives always. And he works it out for our good. It's for our benefit. So what are we saying? We're saying our God is in control of everything. And he's in control of everything in your life. There's never a moment when he's not. And that's something we're going to look at that you can rest in. You can come to the place where you can say, look, I'm not in control. This is hard, but I'm going through. But you know what? God is in control. And because I trust him, I'm okay. And it will be okay. And I can rest in him. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. And then I'll end the recording and give you a chance to say what you want to say. Right, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for being a great God. Thank you for knowing us and for being intimately involved in our lives. And now, Lord, would you bless us and draw us sweetly into your presence and your power. Now, Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you for all you're doing. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.